Thank you guys, and thanks to Jeremiah for standing in for Trey today as uh, they're um, on a little bit of vacation, a well-earned vacation. And I think they're at Disney World, uh, and so Trey is dressed up in his Mickey Mouse ears, and um, Stacy said she can't keep him away from the princesses down there, and so I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't tell, Caitlin. Uh, Anyway, it's a good morning, and uh, thank you, Jeremiah, uh, for leading us today. also want to just uh, say a word of thanks to Jack and Louise Lester. Uh, you, I don't know if you've seen them here this morning. Uh, they're right down in their normal seat. Uh, you had to kick somebody out, I think, uh, but there you are. Um, Jack and Louise uh, have been out for an extended illness, and so many of us have been praying daily for you all, and so... Um, what a, what a surprise and a, a blessing to see you guys here this morning. We, our church loves you. You know that. Yes, absolutely. So glad you're back. And so we're going to be looking uh, today at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and uh, turn there. And if you don't have a uh, Bible with you today, the words will be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good Reliable copy of God's Word, and we have those on the table on the way out in the back, at no cost to you, just a gift from our heart to yours, so don't be afraid uh, to take one of those if you need one in your life. Um, I was thinking this morning about our text, uh, the title is, to, is God's Bizarre Family. Uh, there are some bizarre things about the family of God. Uh, in, in, in a way, we don't belong together, do we? Uh, and uh, we saw that a little bit last week, two groups who never knew each other and who in many cases don't speak the same language, were meshed up in worship, and guess who was there? The Holy Spirit of God. I mean, you can attest to that. You were there, and we sang those songs in Vietnamese uh, that were on the screen and in English, and they were singing their language, us and ours, at the same time, and the worship leaders would shift from one to the other. Wow, that was powerful. I mean, uh, you look on that and you think, that, that's not a crew that belongs together, but, but something has is, is, is put them as one and is happening. You look at our crew here this morning. You start looking at different households and families and backgrounds and where somebody's from and how they speak. You think, man, how in the world did all those people get together? We have a little puppy named Arthur uh, at our house. We got him a few months ago, maybe October, I guess. And uh, we took him home to Chattanooga for Thanksgiving, and uh, he was outside and, um, with the other dogs, and we had the, the little guinea pig. We have a guinea pig as well, uh, folks, and we had a guinea pig. It was in the cage. Uh, we took him outside for the sunshine, and we just put the pig on the ground and the cage over the pig, no bottom, and that's how it was. Well, the dog uh, wanted to be with the pig, apparently, and uh, was, we came outside, the pig was gone. I mean, just gone. The dog had, with his nose, gotten himself in the cage with the pig, picked it up by its neck, and took it off and hid it in some kudzu somewhere to come back later, and I hope to have a reunion and not to have a meal. But uh, anyway, uh, we realized, hey, these two can't really be in the same place at the same time. Right? Bad things are, are liable to happen, and in the New Testament church, in a place uh, called the Rome, uh, this was happening. And here's how it took place. There was a church, uh, the, a New Testament church, after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Uh, a church took root 
in a place called Rome. And most of the people in that church were Jewish people. Now, they believed in Jesus Christ, but historically they had been Jewish people. And then along came a, an emperor named Claudius, and he kicked them out. He said, you, got, you guys got to get out of Rome. We don't want you here anymore. And Gentiles, non-Jewish people, came and began to occupy that church. And the church became a Gentile church. And then later on, things settled down, and guess who came back? The Jews came back. And they wanted to be back in where? Their church. And so you got a church here with Jews and Gentiles together. One said, this is our church. Uh, why are you here? The other said, this is our church. Why are you here? And Paul is writing into this situation. And so that's the context of where we're at today. Uh, two, two creatures that don't belong together, nonetheless, are in the same place. And the, the Bible tells us here how we're to act as the church of Jesus Christ. What is our love supposed to be like when we're all different, when we get on each other's nerves sometimes, you know, when we have different expectations and attitudes? How does love overcome that? And so I'm going to read this uh, in verse 9 of chapter 12. And we'll just read a few verses down to verse 13. The apostle says, let love be genuine, abhor or hate, detest what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Just a few little instructions there about the church, about how we're to behave among and, and with one another. Now, he moves on from here and speaks of how the church is to interact with the outside world. But how is it that we're supposed to be different from that world? How is it we're supposed to love one another in a different way? How in the world is it that people who don't belong together can be made as one in Jesus Christ? Here's some practical advice. The first is this. The church is to be a loving family. The church is to be a loving family. You might not even write that down because you think, well, we've known that for a long time. You know, We learned that in vacation Bible school. That's a little bit oversimplified uh, for a Sunday morning. But listen, the apostle does not just leave it at that. The Bible doesn't just say, love uh, it says it says let love be what genuine i mean there, there's a condition to our love the love in the church is supposed to be something different than the love on tv or in the outside world it is to be a genuine love and the word for genuine is uh is a, a, a variation on the word hypocrite in fact i'm going to try to pronounce it for you it's a, a new pro <laughs> a new it's like not a hypocrite, hypocritos, a nupocritos. And so uh, it's a prefix that says not, what, hypocritical, not false. And the word comes um, from the acting guilds, the, the performing guilds of those days. If you're a good actor, I mean, if you're on the stage in, in, in that Roman city, if you're a performer that day, if you're a good actor, guess what? You've got this applied to you. A new Procritos, right? You, you're not, there's no falsehood in your acting. 
It's not put on. You, you believe it. You draw the audience in. There's tears streaming down the face of those who are watching your performance because it's so real. And so the love within the church is supposed to be genuine, authentic. It's supposed to be real without uh, acting, without being put on. When I was in um, college, there was a show on television called ER. Anybody remember ER? Okay. Yeah, you remember. I know you do, Tracy. Uh, Tracy's pretending like she's young, but she's not. Um, <clears throat> uh, ER was an emergency room drama, uh, and uh, I worked at Walgreens as an 18, 19-year-old boy, and uh, all the people at, at my Walgreens store said, hey, we're going to get together and watch this live edition of ER. They did a live ER, not, not recorded, but it's all happening right then as you watched it. They said, we're getting together at somebody's house, come over, we're going to watch this live version of ER. And we got there, and there was chips and all that you would expect, and little, you know, uh, Cokes, and, and there was some family members there. And the family members happened to be in the medical profession. They were nurses. And if you've ever watched a medical show with a medical person, you know that's pretty annoying. Nurse, nurses in the room, you know how you are. And your husbands or wives especially know how you are, right? So we sat there watching ER, and then there were some nurses there, and every time they mispronounced a drug, guess what they said? Oh, that's not how you say that. You know, every time they said, they said stat, they said, we really don't ever say stat. You know, uh, everything that happened, uh, they would criticize it, say it's just not coming off as what? Real. It's just, that's not really how it would happen. Uh, there's a falsehood to it. The, the Bible is telling us in the church, guess what? We are supposed to love in a way that is absolutely real. It's not just a sentimentality. It's not just a, a condition of our emotion. There is a reality to it. How real is our love supposed to be? We'll look a little further. It's, are we supposed to love, uh, have a love that is real enough to do what? To hate. Now that may sound strange, right? You don't usually see the word hate in the Bible or associated with love, but that's how real our love is supposed to be. That anything that would threaten this body, who we love, guess what we do to that thing? Well, we hate it. We hate evil. And we hate the corrupting falsehood that, that wants to get its way into our body, that, that wants to, to crack us apart. We abhor what is evil. That's how powerful our love is supposed to be. I'm in a phase with my son Reese right now. He's not here this morning, but he's been asking me all these scenarios uh, of when he's allowed to kill someone. Uh, and so watch out. Uh, but he's been saying, uh, we'll be driving in the car or walking along. He'll say, Dad, if someone busted into our house and they had a knife, would you let me kill them? And uh, I said, well, you know, th uh, there are some, you know, times when killing is not wrong. It's not a sin. And Dad, if, if, if I was driving down the street, if we were driving down the street and, and someone crashed into us with their car on purpose, all these scenarios, if we're walking through the woods and there's somebody out there with a gun, am I allowed to kill them? He's got a list. And so uh, I said, well, you know, Reese, I can't answer all these questions, but there are times that God does not condemn that, you know. Why not? Because some things, are, when they're threatened, 
what? You're allowed to protect those things, right? That, I mean, that's, that's a part of life. You're, you're, there's certain things that are so worthwhile and the threat is so stark that the law and the Lord do not condemn that as murder. And so normally hate would be something we, oh, we don't want to hate in the church. What can we hate, right? Dad, am I allowed to, you know, hate this? Here's what we're allowed to hate. We're allowed to hate what is evil. And you know where that evil is? It's in us a lot of times. How does it get in the church? Right here in this heart. And we are to love one another in such an authentic and such a real way. And we take a look right here and we say, no, I'm going to, I reject what is evil. I reject what is in me that would come into God's church and threaten it. God has trusted us with a love that is worth defending, right? It is worth defending from both the empty pretense of, of falsehood and sentimentality, but it's also worth defending from the corrupting evil that would come in. Uh, it's okay. The church is to be a loving family in the most sincere and real sins. But secondly, the church is to be an active family. The church is to be active. Notice verse 10. Uh, there are some, uh, some action words in here. Uh, we're to love one another, and your version may say, be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. We are to outdo one another in what? Showing honor. Uh, the love of the church is supposed to show it's supposed to be visible. It's supposed to be seen. And again, we see here that it's not just a condition of our emotion, that we feel an affection for each other, but rather that we do that affection, that it can be seen and known by our actions among each other. You know, I wake up in the morning, and my phone's laying there by my side. I bought a new phone recently. The old one would recognize my thumbprint. You know, you put your thumb on it, it knows it's you, it, it'll open up and unlock. The new one doesn't do that, it recognizes my face. And so uh, I just hold it there, if, if it's me, it opens, it unlocks, and gives me the stuff that I need. In the mornings, I'm having a problem. <laughs> because I roll over, my phone's there, and I put it up there, it, it, every morning it does not recognize my face. My morning face is unrecognizable to the phone. It's not, I don't know if my hair is mashed or my face is you know, red and got the, the, the imprints of the pillow. You know how you do. But I roll over and pull the phone up, and it's like, no, 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 passcode for you. You, know? you have to put the, <laughs> the passcode in. It's something about me that's not familiar to it. Uh, it, it doesn't recognize. Within God's household, the church, uh, our love is supposed to be recognize it's supposed to be discernible we're not supposed to look and say do they love each other they say they do they sing songs that they do but really where is it we don't recognize it in the church that's not supposed to be the condition of God's family it's supposed to be recognizable and visible among us look at these three words here uh, abundant it's supposed to be abundant love. We're supposed to outdo one another in showing honor. That means we're almost stepping all over each other to show acts of love to each other. We're to outdo it. It's supposed to be replete with acts of love. 
not here and there and oh yeah that but all over the place we're to outdo one another in showing of this love we're supposed to what show it it's supposed to be visible uh, acts of love not just thoughts not just feelings it's supposed to be very real and demonstrable but lastly it's supposed to be selfless selfless what are we supposed to show to each other honor we're supposed to honor each other and the word in the Greek here goes back to the word for price. In fact, it's used almost exclusively in the New Testament for a price or a cost. If you go back to Matthew 24, uh, this is the very word uh, that uh, is used for Judas's payment to the, to the uh, religious leaders for Jesus' life. In fact, they say, we're not going to take that money back because it is a blood price. It's the exact same word. For honor here and so the the image is we are supposed to apply a price tag to each person around us uh, uh, that is very high that is higher than what what we apply to ourselves right your value is greater than my value it may be undeserved it may be an undeserved price tag but that's what we're supposed to do we're supposed to outdo one another in showing honor jack and louise right back here in the library are your photo albums from your sunday school class over all those years um we've got a class um that's no longer in existence it was called the young married class um but it existed for like 50 years and it always kept that name the young married class the young married class got so old that a lot of them passed away and moved, moved across the street, or a lot of them can't come anymore. And the class said, we just can't meet anymore. Uh, and we had to say, you know, we're dissolving the young married class, you know. And, uh, but you left your, the albums. Uh, you gave us some albums back here. If you want to look at them, they're laid out in the library. <clears throat> We've been looking through them. You can see those decades and generations of love within that class. I mean, it's right there in the pictures of how you related to each other and how you loved one another, what you did for each other, families caring for each other. This was a visible love. God's standard of love within the church is such that it should distinguish us from any other people. There ought to be no other people that are like the church when it comes to love. We ought to be the gold standard of, uh, of expressing and showing love. It's what makes us look like Jesus. And look how Jesus loved. He loved the same way, abundantly, demonstrably, and selflessly. Love that is not visible cannot be God's love for the church. Think about that for just a moment. It's not just an emotion. But thirdly, lastly, the church is to be a working family. The church is to be a working family. Look at verses 11 through 13. We notice a few things about these verses. These verses are packed full of, uh, of action words. We see the presence of, of movement in these verses. We're supposed to be how? Uh, in our spirit, we're supposed to be fervent. And the word there is a word for movement, like a fire that the flames are just leaping up and down, or a pot of boiling water that is just bubbling all over. It's, it's, a, it's a, an action word that describes the movement there. We were in our basement uh, with all the wind this Last week in our electric box, we thought it was the electric box, 
started sounding like a railroad, like a locomotive. And we all were like really worried the house was going to burn down. We didn't know what was happening. We went over there, and it was just an old, unused dryer vent. The wind was howling by, and that flap, you know the flappers on those vents? It was just going like crazy, you know? Uh, and uh, it would whistle really loud. That, that, that movement is something that describes uh, this love that's supposed to happen within the church. There's a, there's a movement here. We're supposed to be a working family. It's packed full of action words. Uh, but these words, if you'll notice, they're actions that will not happen on their, what, on their own. We, we are not apt in our natural states to do the things that are asked of us here. Look at, look at this list. Do not be slothful in zeal. Why did he start out with that? Because he knows that, that as human beings, that, that's our natural condition. Uh, to, to get lazy, to get dormant, to get sedentary. Don't do what he says. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in your spirit, comma, serve the Lord. Act upon this in the church. Rejoice in hope. What does that mean? What is hope? It's something not yet realized. When you're waiting, when it's not here yet, when the promise is, 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 is not fulfilled at that moment, still in that moment, what do we do? We rejoice. That doesn't come naturally. I mean, what do we do in a moment when what we desire is not fulfilled? We complain, right? We, we go to each other and we, we wish for more and we get depressed and discouraged. The Bible is telling us to do things that do not come naturally. Be patient in tribulation. When you're facing hardship, patience. Be constant in prayer. Think about that for just a moment, how hard it seems sometimes to pray. This is not what comes natural to human beings. Contribute to the needs of the saints. You mean I'm supposed to give from what's mine? To, 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 yes, contribute to those needs. Seek to show hospitality. Not just be hospitable. Not just show hospitality, but scan, seek. You're scanning, you're looking for ways that this, that this love, that this effort can be unleashed in God's church these are all action words but they are action words that are not in our nature without the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit I brought a picture for you I want to show you uh, y'all recognize these probably there are fewer of them now than they used to be but these were all over the southeast I mean not just the southeast I mean they they were uh, far flung uh, you'd see these barns on highways and roadsides rock city gardens which is near my hometown of chattanooga um, sent out a man a painter who uh, went all over the country and would pay uh, people say hey i'll pay you if you let me paint the roof of your barn and a lot of people would say yes for a little extra money and uh, you'd see these everywhere uh, this one's not there anymore you know what happened to it Nothing. Nothing happened to this barn. It just got pulled back by the forces of the earth into the dirt. That's what I'm talking about here. Uh, with our own spirit, with our own labor, with our own love. You do not have to tear down a barn. Guess what? It's going to go. And you do not have to tear down a church. Did you know that? 
You don't have to tear down a church. All you have to do is do nothing. You just stop listening to the Lord. You just stop being in his word. You just stop being in prayer. You just stop the fellowship. You just stop the, the, the active looking for ways to love and to serve. You just stop saying, I'm not going to outdo each other in showing honor. Their price tag is not all what it's cracked up to be. My price tag is, is really ought to be better than theirs anyway. You don't have to do anything. We don't have to bring a wrecking ball in here. All we have to do is to lie dormant and let gravity pull us back down to our natural selves, to our own devices. Praise the Lord that Poplar Springs is a church uniquely characterized by love, but we have to be careful and we have to be vigilant that we don't fall into this condition. The church is to be a working family. You don't have to tear it down. And we need to always remember that this is a, love is a choice, not a feeling. In the household of God, we owe a duty of action to one another and to the family's head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the Lord Jesus was not a passive savior and his people must not be a passive people. And that starts in the household of God. You know, we were at the Vietnamese church uh, last week. And on the way, a, the whole service was marvelous. Uh, but on the way out, something happened. Uh, I heard about this later. But Kathy Kemp, our church secretary, uh, went on the way out. And there was a lady there from that church, you know, just bidding people farewell. And uh, Kathy spoke to her in English. The lady didn't understand a word that she said. And then the lady spoke back to Kathy in Vietnamese. And Kathy didn't understand, not a, not a syllable that she said. I mean, they, they totally didn't hear each other. But then guess what they did? They hugged. Right? If you would have been there, you'd have seen these ladies uh, both hearing gibberish from one another, but then embracing on the way out. I mean, what a, what a beautiful picture of God's bizarre family he, he does things like this uh, among us that that there's something between Kathy and that lady between you and those people that was very real uh, that, that overcame barriers of language and, and culture didn't even know each other before that day and there you are embracing in the spirit of God the way we love each other in this strange family it tells a story of whose we are and it points back to Jesus. As we've looked at this this morning, the challenge is this. As you leave, ask yourself, what part of the story are you telling? Now we, go, we can go over the points together. The church is to be a loving family, a genuinely loving family. Not put on. Not like ER. Genuine and real. Are you genuinely loving God's household? The church is to be an active family. This love is to, is to be demonstrable. It's, it's, to be, it's to show up. When's the last time you loved in a visible way? And lastly, the church is to be a working family. When is the last time that you remember praying, listening, being patient, giving, serving the Lord? 
being fervent in spirit. When was that a last a part of who you were? So that's the challenge today, to go from here today. This is a great church with a lot of love in it. And let's all be telling that story. Let me pray.